We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello and welcome to The Sports Social, bringing you the joy, humanity and heartbreak of this week in sport. Hi Lib. Hello Georgie. How are you? I'm great. That's good. I'm great. We had an unofficial long weekend this weekend. It's just gone. Did we? Yeah, we did. Or was it just the kids off school? <laughs> it was a bit of that. Is that a long weekend? Yeah. So you still had to work, but also have the children home. Yeah, it's inconvenient. <laughs> and they never tell anybody until like two weeks before. Unless you're on top of your calendar, then you know. Yeah, and I'm never on top no. of my calendar. So no. Sometimes I think I should message Libby. <laughs> I should just say, let her know. You will have your children on Friday. <laughs> A word? <laughs> Unlucky. Uh, but because we had time, mm. we could watch lots of sport. We did. It was exciting. It was an exciting weekend of sport. I started off by watching the Lions. Yes. Play just fell out of my head. Richmond? I could have been. Richmond. They won, didn't they? They won. It was so like a, It was like a last minute firecracker yeah, okay, ending. In the last minute, mm. they kicked a goal. My nephew, I got a video of my nephew just screaming. He's eight years old. He was beside himself, as was every other person at the Gabba. It was pretty exciting. It was a very cool match. It was like the Lions of old. And I think every then every match of AFL last weekend or the weekend just gone was pretty outstanding. So. And I'm going to bring up the Broncos because, <laughs> I mean, look, we're, we're not a Queensland Essentially, we're not a Queensland podcast, but we are from Queensland and Broncos are my NRL team. And they went from the top four to not making the top eight. Didn't, didn't the Raiders have to win by like 30 points or something? Yeah, it was, it was like, something ridiculous was some and ridiculous. it was just, it was not, not good. It wasn't to be. That's okay. There's lots of other good what, games. What happened with the Broncos this season? It's a good question. I think there's been a lot of injuries, but I think they really need to go back to the drawing board and Kevy Walters needs to... Sort it out. Yeah. Apparently the def- their defence is pretty average. I haven't actually seen a Broncos game mm. this season and yeah. I, I feel okay about that. <laughs> I, I don't feel f- better now that I know that. <laughs> well, they, they didn't, didn't make do. the top eight, so. No. Okay. Um, Saturday morning where I was, it was pouring with rain and so we watched the Serena match mm-hmm. against, now are you know me in tennis names, Tom Lanovich. Ooh, well done. Mm, yeah. I'm impressed. It was that was a tough match for anyone to come and have to play Serena. Tom Lanovich did such a good job and she was really humble about it at the end. She sort of said, I'm sorry I had to be the villain yeah, and knock Serena out. Well, because as has been well documented, this is Serena's kind of swan song. Yes. As she evolves away from tennis, as mm-hmm. she puts it. But yeah, someone was going to have, unless she was going to go on to win, which at I 41, don't, I don't think her heart was just, in it. When she plays her shots, there's she's still a playmaker, but... She just didn't have the speed around the court or that consistency of speed. So you'd see it for a match. She's 41. Yeah, I'm tired too. <laughs> like, We're all tired. <laughs> like we get it, Serena. Yeah. Go and play go just, social tennis. Go chill out. I mean, she would dominate Masters, let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, how terrified would you be if you looked at the drawing? Board? Oh, God, Serena again. <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm not playing. I'm not available this weekend. Do we know how her and Venus are going in the doubles? No. I mean, that's a good question. It is a good question. We were prepared. I would have, <laughs> I would have known. I mean, we should have looked at that. I should have looked at that. I was watching the Kyrgios match. He just beat Medvedev. Daniel. 
Yes. Daniel Medvedev. He beat him. And Todd Woodbridge said that that's the best he's ever seen Kyrgios play at a Grand Slam. Wow. And I think Kyrgios was surprised himself because he went up to McEnroe after the match and said, did you like that? Which was interesting because if you're at a Grand Slam and you're a tennis player at that level. Do you think he meant it like as in validation? Yeah, I wonder if it sort of goes to why he's such a unsettled soul out on the tennis court. I really struggle with Kyrgios because I think he's excellent for the sport and excellent for changing up what tennis looks like and how tennis is played, kind of like how Agassi was mm. back in like Curious, Samfras, like very – And the Williams sisters. And and the, yeah. But I really struggle with how he handles himself on the court, how he deals with his box, and he's also got allegations floating around outside of tennis. Mm. I really want to like him. I know. Like so yeah, much. That is actually the prevailing feeling. I so, want to so like much. You. I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, like I mean – not that you can just put the allegations outside of tennis aside, but if you were to put that aside mm. for a moment, like, oh, because I can, I can sense there's part of me in him because I have volatile emotions. Yeah, You're incredibly passionate about things, but I happen to find a coach who was able to harness that and direct it. Mm. And I feel like that's something he's lacked possibly his whole life is having someone to guide him to direct those volatile emotions, which a lot of athletes have because we're – I mean, I say we – we're always distilled now. <laughs> so um, incredibly passionate. Like we have a lot of energy to give and drive and fire and that's something that is really exciting to watch. Mm. But I don't think he has that guidance to direct it, to make it – not detrimental to his overall performance. And, you know, obviously he played really well, but will that translate into the next game and into the next game? I think what we're seeing is him starting to consolidate his talent. Well, yeah, I mean, considering this is the second Open this year that he's, like, made it through, what's he in the now semifinals? Quarters. Quarters. Yeah, so, like, he made it through to the final of the French Open. It's kind of interesting as well because when he was speaking to the in the on-court interview, he mentioned that he's really started to think about his sleep and, and all these sort of things around. The one percenters. The one, yeah, which reminded me of you and food when mm. you were training and yeah. how younger Libby, when you were swimming, you just ate whatever you wanted. Because I could. Yeah, and mm. times were good. <laughs> times were great. Those potato jams could just keep on coming. But then you got to sort of older athlete Libby, which was still pretty young, but older athlete Libby, and all of a sudden diet became something that you thought about. Well, that was when I was living with you and, and your husband, Ben. Yes. And I had to, because I was just making a comeback to try and make the 2012 Olympics, mm. and I'd put on 10 kilos during my retirement. Mm. And I'd never had to think about nutrition before. Mm. And then all of a sudden that 10 kilos, I mean, hard relate to everybody, but like you can't shift them because you get older, your metabolism changes, things have shifted. And so I had to really knuckle down and it wasn't just about, you know, obviously stripping fat, but it was also about recovery. Yes. Because you get older and you're like, oh, I'm really tired. Much more tired than I used to be. Yeah, and just smashing like a loaf of bread doesn't help your recovery anymore. Apparently not. But gee, it tastes good. <laughs> Apparently it I doesn't. Also, if I swim three kilo- kilometres, I'd be like, yes, I will eat all three? the Three? We butter. used to swim Sorry, six. Okay. <laughs> Such an athlete. <laughs> I'm 
like to acknowledge how far just I in the to... morning. Yeah, exactly. I, actually, you probably would No, it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Between four and six kilometres. It takes a long time to run six kilometres. So Serena was cool. Tennis has been interesting. Yes. Watch the Wallabies. Yes. Play the Springbok on Saturday night. Did the Springboks win? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the Wallabies weren't really ever in the match or not contenders, which was really interesting because the week before yeah. they were right there. But I've decided that rugby does not want to be a spectator sport. They're not interested ah. because all they want to do is apply the rules and there are so many rules. It is such a technical match. You did text and you're like, I, I was, need oh. to sit with someone who like knows the rules. <laughs> so I was sitting next to my mate Jimmy who has played rugby and watched rugby his whole life. And I asked him at one point why there'd been a penalty, what was that about? And he just looked at me and said, I don't even know. And if your diehard fans mm. can't work out what's going in, on in the game, then you've got a problem. Like it's so boring. Yeah. Look, I mean. You're, you're not a rugby <laughs> watcher. You're like, exactly. <laughs> that's why I don't watch it. When it's, it's good, it, it's so good. Uh, it, it's an interesting um, conversation because like, the diehard rugby union fans are like, oh, it just it moves so fluidly and like compared to NRL, which is so stop start and blah blah blah. And I'm like, do you see how many stoppages mm. you guys have? Like, and the TMO can now come in and review a phase of play that happened five minutes ago. Well, that just no seems ridiculous. Cares. No one cares. I just get bothered whenever it's like, sir, oh, sir. Watch, watch this, sir. What, as in, oh, the players? No, as in the spectators. Oh, oh yeah. All, well, all that noobs. happens in every sport, as if it doesn't happen in NRL. NRL does not, they do not say sir, I guarantee no, you. Say, <laughs> it's probably a lot more obscene than sir. Yes, and apparently I'm less offended by that. <laughs> but they're, they're every, every in every sport they question the ref or the umpire. But totally. It's just the way. It's just the way. It's, it's Sir. The Matildas played Canada on Saturday afternoon. Yes. They unfortunately lost. No. But good to start getting some profile around women's soccer in Australia yeah. because there is a World Cup coming next year. Yeah, July next year. Is talking about Why it. are we not talking about it? Well, they, I think Australia's got to give it a bit more attention. We, I think we won the Olympic Games for 2032, which is 10 years away, and we seem to have spoken about that more than – Is it in Brisbane? Uh, I think it might be East Coast – We've, we definitely have matches in a, in Brisbane, but mm. I think it's being played all around. I mean, the real cynic in me is like, well, of course we're talking about the Olympics. <laughs> you are a monster. <laughs> it is. I am a monster. It is 10 I'm years I'm going away. to hell. We have to – I get it. We have to plan. We have to have venues. Yeah. There's a whole conversation that needs to be had like 10 years ahead of time. Yeah, sure. We can have two conversations though. I, and I agree with that. <laughs> that, like that is accurate. Well, if women are in charge, we can multitask. Yes. Yes. We agree. <laughs> um, what else has been going on? Oh, well, our favourite <laughs> conversation. got a glint in your eyes. <laughs> what piece of gold? The, well, it's the F1, of course. <laughs> As our F1 correspondent, what can you fill me in on? Thank you for acknowledging my F1 expert level knowledge. Oscar Piastri has officially signed with McLaren. Alpine has released Piastri mid-season. Oh. So there's a possibility that Piastri could make his way to McLaren this year, which so means... He could unseat no, Ricardo no, mid-season? No, I think it means that Daniel and Oscar 
could be racing for McLaren in the same season. He oh, he would unseat Ricardo. Someone has to move. There's yeah, not enough there's seats. Not enough cars. <laughs> cool. Did McLaren just put on a third car? Because I don't think they're allowed to. He's a pit. They've put I mean, on a I'm third not car. an expert. You are, but <laughs> I'm the expert. <laughs> Just, and I'm saying I've that he's done the math. Two cars per ten teams. Well, I mean, regardless of what happens, it sounds very bad for <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, and that potentially means that there may not be a seat for him next year at all. Because his his like, he co- I, he I really hope he never listens to this. Seventeenth this morning. Yeah, I really hope he never listens to the sports social. <laughs> I apologise deeply if you're listening, Daniel. But and also, Daniel, re- we'd love to chat. Oh, Daniel, give us a buzz. Um, but it, he's really not done well. I know it's been very bad, and I think we can. Um, all, you can't blame the car anymore. We can all agree that he just should not have left Red Bull. Never. Why? Never. It was such a good team. He yeah. was doing so well. There was also a real fail in pit lane in the F1 this morning. Ooh, because a mechanic forgot the tire. <laughs> You have one job, dude. <laughs> you have one job. I mean, how does that happen? You, you see your car coming in, you go, hang on, what, what is my job? I change tyres. <laughs> they literally go, pit, 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 pit. Box, box. Bo- oh, yeah, sorry. It's not Shit. pit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> no. Pit, pit. <laughs> I mean. I'm <laughs> Pit, pit. <laughs> It's box box idiot. <laughs> um, yes, box box. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, they're boxing. Yeah. Oh, what's my job? Get a tire, bring it out. No, totally forgot. He just walked up to the car oh, and didn't get a tire. Sometimes you can't get good people. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> like F one correspondence. Bit 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 bit. Oh, good times. We need to learn more about golf. Well, this is an interesting, I was going to say exciting. Exciting is not the word I would use. Interesting development with Cameron Smith, the golfer. So I've been following this along for a while, but I did have a point in the last couple of days when I realised I don't actually understand the structure of golf and Mm. and how it was all set up internationally and how it all falls into place. Because I look at the Cameron Smith thing and go, you guys already earn so much money. So much money. Why do you need to go to another tournament and earn more money? But also you don't get the the championship. But I don't see this is it. I don't think we understand it enough okay. to make these. That's the point that I Well, realize. that's the assumption I'm making. Yeah. So we need to speak to an expert. I found yes. us an expert. His name is Steve Kuypert and he is the associate editor of Australian Golf Digest magazine. He's also written. Sounds official. Yeah. He's written. He's the author of Golf for Dummies. And at that point I went, you are our guy. <laughs> I feel like he's too advanced for us, but well, let's also, do it. He's also just put out a book called Aussies at the Open. Oh, amazing. So I think we should give him a call. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hello, Steve speaking. Hi, Steve. It's Georgie and Libby Trickett calling you from the Sports Social Podcast. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? We are well. Steve, we are trying to understand a bit more about the world of golf. And as... <laughs> <laughs> As the author of Golf for Dummies, we thought you were an excellent place to start because we are your oh, dummies. Oh gosh, yes, that's, that's yeah. That one was a while ago, so um, yes, okay, right. It might have been a while ago, but it's still highly <laughs> relevant to us. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah, it's very much so. And um, it, it, I don't think the games ever, or the professional games have been more complex than it is right now. Well, that makes me feel better because we've been watching what's been going on with Live Golf and with the PGA and it became abundantly clear to me that I actually don't understand the structure of golf or how the game works throughout the world. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could just talk to us a little bit about how the PGA operates across all the different tournaments or how it all works and then what the impact of live has been on the PGA. Yeah, well, the structure globally is there are actually multiple tours around the world. Um, we have a tour here in Australia, for instance, but by far the biggest historically has been the PGA Tour and it's biggest in terms of most tournaments, highest prize money, and it's just the, um, the place the vast majority of male players, that's where they aspire to play. The other thing is, in terms of the calendar, the PJ Tour consumes more of the year than any other circuit as well. The European Tour, which is now called, as of this year, the DP World Tour, is up there as well. It, both tours almost don't stop. Um, there's a little bit of a break. We're in a two-week break at the PGA Tour at the moment because this season isn't a calendar year. It finished at the end of August, now starts again mid-September. And there's about a month break from the end of November uh, through to the end of the year as well. But essentially the PGA Tour is playing every other week other than those sort of six or seven. And the effect that that's had, and we've noticed it here in Australia probably as much as any other tour, is you've now got a situation where the players feel obligated to play more. And so the Australian players, for instance, who are based in America, will spend a lot more of their year over there rather than here. And as a result, our tournaments have struggled to even get some of our local players, some of the Australian players, back for events like the Australian Open and PGA because the point system that they play under in the PGA Tour kind of makes them keep playing longer into the year than they'd otherwise want to or preventing them from coming back here to play. And so it's really had a detrimental effect on some of the smaller tours, just how big the PGA Tour has become. And so that's kind of what we're seeing now is the players are voting with their feet to a degree by going to the live circuit, which is not just offering them more money, but it's offering them a smaller playing schedule and one that they they know they've got to commit to about 15 weeks a year, but probably no, no more than that. And so it's a different kind of shape for global golf to be looking like, but it's kind of come in reaction to one circuit that has dominated the rest. So how do athletes then choose which circuit to go on? Because, you know, obviously the PGA is from outside, from, you know, the dummy's perspective is the kind of benchmark tour. But, you know, also there's there's like a whole raft of different opportunities for for golfers to to choose. And, And so how do they choose? Do they choose with the money or they choose with the lifestyle that they might enjoy or do they go with the kind of yeah most prestigious event yeah it's a good question and and i suppose it's one that each of the players are addressing individually and and not necessarily all in agreement on but uh, first and foremost they've got to qualify to get on tour the pj tour has kind of changed the way you can get on there through the years but for argument's sake let's say we're talking about one of the elite players who's already qualified to be on the PGA Tour. For them, the decision 
comes, yes, you know, it, it, it's sort of been a decision between history and legacy or money and innovation. Yeah. So, yeah, if you were to summarise the, you know, the, the decision a lot of these players are making, that's kind of it. Do do I stay with what I know? Do I stay with PGA Tour? I know the tournaments. I know there's decades worth of history there. Some some great names and great histories attached to some terrific tournaments. Or do I want to be on this wave that is possibly kind of cresting and taking golf, uh, professional golf, into a whole new era with a whole lot of money to boot? Mm. Uh, and and that's you know it's it's one of those questions. It's difficult, but also easy. It's easy in the sense that you probably can't, if you're one of these players that has to choose, you probably can't make a wrong decision. You're going to do pretty well whichever way you go. Mm. But by the same token, that's actually what makes it difficult because by choosing one, you're forgoing the other because of the way that um, the tours are. I mean, it might change. It's possible that there'll be a, a peace deal brokered uh, in the coming months and years. But as it stands right now, it is really only one or the other, whereas previously players had a little more freedom to kind of um, play different circuits. So it's very messy, it's very intricate, but it's also seriously compelling if you're a sports fan, let alone just a golf fan. So do you think this is where golf needs to be at right now? Is this a sort of cleaning out of old structures and old ways of doing things? And it's is it moving to a new... A new state is the PGA going to have to relinquish some of this epic control it seems to have on these global players? Yeah, it's shaping that way, and and, and that's certainly part of the argument for live golf. The pro live golf argument says that even though the format that they play and the nature of those tournaments might be seen as a little bit too much of a radical shift from what we're used to seeing, if the net effect is a diluting of the PGA Tour's power, then it'll have been worth it. And yeah, I, I, as you say, I really do think that this is kind of golf's World Series cricket moment or Super League moment where it's kind of eating itself, but almost for a, a greater good, if they can get it right. Uh, I mean, where, where we're, we're getting some sort of I guess, conflicting viewpoints is, was there any great need for golf to kind of be broken down and rebuilt again? And certainly the feedback we're hearing is it very much depends on where, you, where you're from. Mm-hmm. I think most American golf fans see this as absolutely destructive and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the world kind of gets it. Yeah. Kind of understands that, okay, this has been disruptive, but... Something had to happen because the rest of the world's golf circuits were suffering because of how big one of them was. And, yeah, I, I really do think that this could be um, the moment that there's a bit of a reset and there's a little more evenness across the globe, really. Um, it's just going to be a matter of how it all plays out and exactly who's going to get what size slice of the pie. Well, I mean, from that perspective, do you think it's unsurprising then that, uh, you know, Australian golfer Cam Smith has then signed with the likes of Live Golf? Yeah, it's one of those that as soon as names started popping up 
players were linked to Live Golf, whether officially announced or, or not, we all started to think, okay, where do the Australians fit in all this? And, and there's a slightly different kind of element for our guys as well because of Greg Norman's involvement and there's some serious loyalty to him in a lot of cases. And so the Australians sort of have it slightly differently in that sense. But straight away we saw... Um, guys like Matt Jones and Wade Ormsby and also some of the younger players get straight on board. But then we were sort of waiting for this next wave and, and Cam Smith kind of coming into the limelight by winning the Open Championship in July and deflecting questions about Liv right there and then sort of put him in the crucible for these past six weeks, waiting for him to say yes or no and you know, it really was one of the worst kept secrets in sport that we, you know, we finally found out last week that he was going when we kind of suspected or knew for, for a good month and a half. But uh, it, it, in some senses, it's no different um, a decision for him than anyone else because it's, it's, as I said before, it's history and legacy versus innovation and, mm. and money. Um, and exactly which side of that divide each player sits. Um, He's not the prototypical live uh, signee. Uh, most of the live golfers have either been very young at the start of their career, looking to get a foothold and certainly getting looking to get some financial freedom, or they're well into their 40s, kind of in the autumn of their careers, looking to cash in past their prime. He's sort of right in the middle, um, mm. you know, ranked second in the world, 29 years old. Uh, he he really is an interesting signing from that perspective, but yeah, he's um he's come out and said it's the it's the schedule that appealed to him as much as the money. He's basically spent his entire twenties living in America, not really being in a position to come back home too often, and live and the schedule that they have um, is really going to afford him a lot more time to be back in Australia and to um, not be on the week-in, week-out grind of the PGA Tour quite so much. Steve, thank you so much. I I have not really had much to do with golf, but this has been so fascinating to watch and I will continue to follow the press and all the commentary around it because I think it's fascinating so to fascinating. watch a sport evolve and come to terms with its its new place and, and, and all the players and the power that they have. Thank you so much for talking to us. My pleasure, guys, and uh, any time. Um, and I think it, it may well get murkier before it gets clearer too. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you've definitely made us less dummy That's not worked so <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, I've done my job then. Yes. We (laughs) also, before we gave you a call, we spoke about your role as the associate editor at the Australian Golf Digest magazine and about your new book, Aussies at the Open. Yeah. 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 So we'll we'll pop that in there as well. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Yeah. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Steve. We really appreciate it. No problem. And good to talk to you both. Chat soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. I mean, it's a really interesting conversation like I really I find it fascinating the the choice between the kind of history and legacy versus money and innovation basically yeah there's also a whole nother conversation that we haven't had and 
we need to, I guess, understand more. I wanted to address what you're going to say, but yes. Perfect. About sports washing and where the money for Live Golf is coming from. Correct. It's coming and, from Saudi Arabia. And we can't really get into it now because, you know, we could go on that for hours. Yes. But that is definitely going to be a conversation that we want to have in the future because it's fascinating. Mm. And it's something, that it doesn't just happen in golf. It's happening everywhere around the world. Yeah. Before I get into what I recommend and what I'm talking about, I don't know if you saw, but the AFLW, <sighs> the massive injury that happened um, to one of the Western Bulldogs. Brit Goodnick. Brit Goodnick. Oh, man. It's a brutal sport. Ugh. They but had to put up a tent to get her off the... So she had a massive break in her leg. Tibia and fibia. Ugh. Yes. Yes. And, oh, the, I We're mean, the footage... her very... Quick and speedy recovery, but that that's a brutal injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a conversation with Jarrell Yao-Yi from the Brisbane Broncos who had a similar, probably slightly worse because it was a compound fracture which went through his skin. Um, but it's a, it's a brutal injury, so definitely wishing her all the best. But I just I feel like we need to have more discussions around the injuries in AFLW at the moment because I just – I don't know if it's happening in the AFL the way that it's happening in the AFLW. I think you've got – Factors at play like playing surfaces, fitness in terms of long-term muscle fitness Mm. and also I think it's a bigger discussion that needs to be had is that the impact that then has on their ability to work. Yes. Well, it's the professionalism of the the league at Mm. the moment because it's not at the stage that the AFL are at where everyone is a professional athlete and that's what they do. So if you week in have and week a job out. where you need to be able to move and you have get an injury playing AFLW, not only not playing the sport that you love, but your ability to earn money is then significantly impacted. Because that was a great conversation we had, was it last week, with Nat Greider? Yes. The vice captain of the Brisbane Lions. And yeah, that's exactly what she was talking about. It's yeah, needs to be discussed more. But what I am talking about this week is uh, an amazing it's, – it's a fictional show, so it's on – We're here for fiction. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sport-related. It's sport-adjacent. So it's called Hustle, and it's the Adam, new Adam Sandler. This is not to be confused with the Jennifer Lopez movie. <laughs> no. Very different vibe to The Hustle. Um, just Hustle uh, is Adam Sandler, and it's basically about this talent – spotter for the NBA and how he went around seeking a, a basketball player to kind of prove his worth to maybe become oh, a coach one day. For this. So yeah. it was good. It's worth watching. I I really enjoyed it. So like the acting isn't the best and I was wondering why that might be. Adam Sandler was great, but the majority of the um kind of support cast were basketball players. Oh like actual NBA basketball players. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, so old and current. So the um, the main guy, I think his name is Sergio. I'll check that. But um, he, so he's like the to never report back once it's <laughs> ever again. <laughs> I'll check that I mean, and, I'll check and, it. and You'll never, never let you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. <laughs> I'm pretending like we're professional. We're (laughs) semi-professional. Yeah, so he is an actual NBA player. Cool. Yeah, so it was – I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I heard that Ted Lasso, in the next season of Ted Lasso, which I understand is the last one, (gasps) 
No, I don't can, tell me I that. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll check that and never tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We're on the same wavelength. Um, I feel like they might be actually using Premier League teams or some level of amazing English soccer teams as part of that. Yeah, that's cool. There is that awkwardness in a sports movie or a sports TV show where they're having to show scenes of people playing tennis or people playing soccer. Oh, and they can't play. The bane of my existence when they show a swimmer, in inverted ever, commas. Uh, in, never. When have they ever uh, shown a swimmer? Swimming upstream, Georgie. They pretended to be swimmers and they were not. <laughs> they need to get actual <laughs> swimmers to swim. 99% of people would have no clue. <laughs> I know, but it offended me. You were like, I could have been a consultant I on could that, have been, guys. Like, I was available. <laughs> I was ready. I was ready and raring for swimming upstream. I can't upstream. really think of any other swimming movies where it would have been an issue. I mean, there's been like TV shows where, or usually like murdery TV shows where. What, someone dies in the first clip and then they unpack it like a CSI? Yeah, or like, you know, they're going to, you know, rest and recover and they're just swimming up and down and then they get jumped on or something. There's lots of those sorts Niche of things. market. H2O! Is that a, t- that's a TV show, isn't it? No. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Splash. There was... The Mermaids. The Mermaids, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We are now so... We have gone from sports documentaries to mermaids. There's not even a line. It's just how we roll. Semi-professional, we'll never report back. We just give everyone a vibe of sport. I mean, that should be our new catchphrase. Just the vibe. The, the no, sports social. Like it's been the vibe of sport. <laughs> On that note. That's it. I think that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. We'll give you a vibe next week. Oh, God. Don't say that. <laughs> that sounded terrible. <laughs>